Greetings, outcast, free thinkers, narrative questioners, dot connectors, and genuinely open-minded and outright curious inhabitants of whatever realm we exist in at the moment. You are about to embark on another free first hour episode of The Notes. If you find yourself wanting to dig deeper and have the desire to join the conversation during our monthly Melt meetups, you might want to consider becoming a monthly subscriber. For as little as three lousy Babylon hokey pokey tokens per month, you can have access to full-length, early, and exclusive episodes. Just visit patreon.com slash themeltpodcast or click the link in the episode notes to set the process in motion. It's simple, painless, and very well might make you feel tingly inside. So without further ado, please enjoy the show! This is Hunter Muse. And this is Chris Snipes. And you are listening to The Melt. One of the most potentially divisive events to happen in the recent past was the death of George Floyd on the clock of the Minneapolis PD. His death set off a chain of events that have changed and charged the racial milieu of the United States. The question seems to be, was his death planned in order to set in motion a race war under the pretense of police brutality that was allegedly motivated by racism? Even though statistics regarding race and police brutality are skewed, and the only black lives that seem to matter are those that are taken at the hands of white police officers? There are so many things wrong with this picture that it begs further examination. But critical inquiry into any situation that involves any member of any oppressed class of people leads to accusations of bigotry and racism. This is a narrative that renders all that belong to the oppressor class, namely white men, as enforcers of some white supremacist system, regardless of the context or the underlying motivations, and which deifies all members of said oppressed groups as infallible saints that can never do wrong, nor can they ever hope to escape their state of perpetual victimhood. Can we see the plot holes in this narrative? 
So then George Floyd's death is turned into an iconic representation of this limiting narrative, irregardless of evidence that seems to point to Floyd, having most likely died from a heart attack caused by the immense amount of drugs in his system, combined with the frenzy that he whipped himself into, hence indicated by claiming that he couldn't breathe long before he even exited his vehicle. What followed was widespread rioting and violence, possibly set into motion by agent provocateurs, and a worldwide campaign that BLM ended up making $90 million from, which never quite seemed to make it back to the black community. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. Today's guest, documentarian and independent journalist Mariam Hanane, has made a film chronicling the events of May 25, 2020, titled George Floyd, The Real Timeline, which she joins us today to talk about. I start off the conversation by asking Mariam how she got started in journalism. Uh, it wasn't by choice, but um, initially, but I hail from Montreal, Canada. I graduated from Concordia as a journalist and also studied communications in Vancouver and I minored in psychology. I psychoanalyzed by default. It comes very naturally to me. And uh, I realized that uh, I didn't have a lot of opportunities as a journalist and uh, I chose to go to Los Angeles, California. And my first job was actually producing the news for MSNBC online. Mm -hmm. I was probably one of the first to produce the news for the internet. Mm -hmm. And um, from a very young age, have been on computers. My dad worked for IBM that I now realize is tied to Tavistock, but Mm -hmm. that's also another story. And so I covered technology at a short little stint. And then I realized um, that my boss was getting paid twice as much as me. And also the way I was raised, um, seeing the news in Canada was, you know, I, I was exposed to worldly news and I quickly learned that they you know, spend so much money just for a chopper, a million dollars during sweeps to get the drive-bys. Mm-hmm. And I recall going out on one story um, with um, with a cameraman and they were covering a drive-by and so there was a journalist and and basically it was a couple in South Los Angeles, South Central and it was their anniversary and they were going to get some food and the they had a little, their son, uh, a two-year-old was on the father's shoulders mm-hmm. and um, a bullet killed him so if he hadn't been on his father's shoulders and then so I'm at the scene and and it's like they're all mourning and they have a picture of the boy and I was like I could never do that I could never shove a microphone and uh, ask uh, how are you feeling I I always covered um, more so features and also like you know interned at Discovery Channel and I left NBC and I started pitching as a hustling freelancer. So I was writing for Maxim and LA Magazine. And I wrote several pieces for Penthouse for the unrepentant voyeur section. Mm -hmm. And uh, all, you know, 95% of the stories I wrote were ideas. They were my ideas that I pitched. And I used to go to New York and meet with the editors. And um, 
then uh, I stepped into a crosswalk and I was hit by an SUV and uh, dragged 50 feet and my life changed very much. So um, I broke six bones and I literally had to learn how to walk again. I had this titanium rod, a 13 inch titanium rod. Um, Actually, I'm going to show it to you because I have it on my (laughs) altar. I just found it recently because so this um i don't think i've shown this so this was in my femur holy shit and i could feel it because i'm like princess and the p and because of the near-death experience i became i realized i was an empath and and i i don't talk about it much but i'm clear audient and uh i i feel things uh so this, this near-death experience kind of put me on a, a different trajectory, and I was told that I would be in the health and wellness space. And I, I was like, what is this person, this astrologer? I went to get an astrology reading because this happened, this accident, at the height of my um, Saturn, what they call your Saturn return. return. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then I... I uh, I prayed to God to give my life meaning and to be in, in service because I had lived. And then the bees flew into my life. And so I spent an afternoon looking at what the bees represent and they represent the sacred feminine. Mm-hmm. And then I dedicated the next five years of my life um, traveling and making vanishing of the bees and so I was still kind of part of the mainstream. I was doing, um, you know, I appeared on a talk show with uh, Ellen M- McCain, M- McCain's daughter. I remember like, why are you a host? Move over, honey. Of course, Rhea was like, why am I bad on the eyes? Do I not know how to string a sentence together? I have a high EQ and IQ. So I I wanted to... And this was before in content influencers and stuff. Mm-hmm. In any case, slowly, um, I think because I caught, blew out, blew the whistle on Bayer, and during the making of the film, I was told to watch my tires by someone who now works for Bayer. He was the state entomologist for Florida, and um, then worked for Monsatan that became Bayer because they scrubbed mm-hmm. the name. Yeah. And, and so I really was. Um, opened my eyes to our adulterated food supply. And in reality, the accident was an initiation into real health and not health, H-E-L-L-T-H. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I didn't have insurance as a Canadian, I, I really was to my own devices. I didn't even have physiotherapy. I used yoga to walk again and my body exploded from the PTSD. So Mm. as early as 2006, I was already cutting out gluten, sugar, and really reforming my diet and just using every incident that's happened to me to, to learn further about health and wellness. And then at one point, I went and studied and and got uh, accreditation from the Institute of Functional Medicine. So I'm also a functional medicine coach and consultant and work with other doctors to get to the root of uh, the issue. And, and, um, you know, today, um, 
their killing fields, the hospital. I was also covering medical freedom since 2012, covering vaccines. Mm -hmm. And um, for those of us who were covering medical freedom, we knew this pandemic was coming. And uh, when the Rona hit, I was covering blow by blow, 365 days, 12 hours a day. Um, Part of it, I was, you know, alongside Zach Voorhees, the Google whistleblower. I uh, encouraged him to come with me to the jungle. So I escaped to the jungle when this hit. Um, I was, we experienced like maybe a few, a week of fear porn and um and then was like peace out this is a psyop and of course we arrived the same day as the rona did in costa rica so i got to see them do the same bs um over there like oh now you're doing um snitch nation now you're doing asymptomatic spread it's the same crap the same crap and whereas one person like my mom might say, but Mary, how could they lie to the whole world? Um, for me, it's very easy to see how they could lie to the whole world. Oh, yeah. Um, and that, you know, prior to the Rona, um, I, my, I built a company into a million dollar company called Honey Colony. And uh, then I was attacked and targeted for being literally one of the first to sell CBD in the online space. And now everybody and their mother makes CBD and they make crap CBD that's isolate and doesn't Mm -hmm. really respect the entourage effect or the fact that um, it's not liposomal. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I say I was attacked, every processor under the sun shut us down. So that means like, you know, was making $15,000 a week. And uh, then I couldn't make anything for two weeks at a time. And so I had a million dollar company that was getting 500,000 unique viewers. And we had to deal with um, being robbed and basically losing a quarter of a million dollars. And then there was the medic update by Google. And anybody that fell under your money, your life uh, was uh, penalized. (laughs) And so I lost the 500,000 unique visitors. And initially we thought we were doing something wrong. Um, I remember going to a biohacking conference and seeing uh, Mercola. And Mercola was addressing people to boycott Google. And I was the only one that went to talk to him to bring that up. And I told him that I call it techno-fascism, a term that now Jason Burmis uses almost every day in his broadcasts, um, but it wasn't popularized. And I'm the one who wrote about mm, techno-fascism and censorship. I, I wrote a story interviewing Zach about how I discovered that Google was a drug company mm-hmm. and that they were involved in the decade of vaccines. Um so shortly after the Rona, Rona hit. So it's been one thing after the other. And people would say, like, who are you? Why would you be targeted? You're not that big. Yeah, because someone's allow- not allowing me to be big. Um, because I feel that if you're like, hey, I'm about to turn 50. I've been hit by an SUV. I've reversed lupus, which I didn't mention, too, after making Vanishing of the Bees. Ironically, I was sprayed by chemicals. 
Um, they were fumigating between two buildings. And um, I couldn't go up a flight of stairs and then learned that uh, they told me I had lupus. It was really chemical body burden. Right. And they gave me some Balta and prednisone. And they said, your body's attacking itself. There's no cure. Bye. Mm-hmm. And I said, F you, watch me. And I cured myself. Uh, took six years. Um, so again, like I said, everything that's occurred, I've used it as a um, opportunity to learn and dive deeper. But I, I've paid a price, like many of us now. It's become, you know, normalized. And I was defending Roseanne Barr in 2018, and I said, Roseanne Barr today, you tomorrow, and here we are. Exactly. So. Just chronologically, when did you move to Los Angeles? Like, when did your story in the media world start? I uh, had just graduated journalism. And uh, so, I I guess, um, I guess I, university 23, 24. I wasn't, I didn't even have a green card when I got my job as an intern at MSNBC. And then I worked my way up. Yeah. That's absolutely phenomenal that you've been able to endure so much. That really says something about your character and, and well, and just your ability to overcome adversity because anywhere along that path, you could have given up and you haven't. So I really admire that. And I think that that courage is something that we've seen in this uh, time is that certain people have really risen to the occasion. And I think that's the necessary um, element of what you're doing is just understanding that there are going to be, be people who may target you, but you cannot, you have to stay the course. You have to have, just have this laser focus. And it really sounds like you do. I was very impressed by your film, I think the only thing I wish is that there had would have been some uh, chronological timeline somewhere in maybe the beginning so that we could have kind of followed it along. But we watched about the, the George Floyd. Film? Yes. Not my B film. Um, That's interesting because I was telling Sean just the other day, how can we put a counter and it's not, you can't put a counter because I have cutaways, but right. And I try my best to say it's 808, it's 746. It's right. so unfortunate. I mean, the time is there throughout. It's yeah. on the body yeah. or on camera. So I didn't know how to how to deal with that. I, it would be cool if there could be some kind of a a cron or something on the back or on the on the screen where you could show where it jumps from different times where you just kind of put a an arrow but I'm down not jumping i'm taking you through chronologically right. and we start at 730 and i say 733 yep. and so and, then we, and so i understand what you're saying but i yep. think the person has to just uh, keep track because i don't know you know i can't put a timer because yeah it's not, um um, but we highlight i asked for a few more times to highlight the time yes it's there in people's face. Um, that's why I show the words. Yep. And I 
I'm very detailed because I'm very detailed and details matter in this mediocre age where nobody pays attention to them anymore. And that's why I've been able to produce something that nobody else has because people are not, you know, if they've chose to do this, they, they did it to perpetuate a bullshit lie. Exactly. There's nobody that's taken the time. um, I mean, Candace's Candace Owens films, she, you know, she presents a different angle, which is the where the money would be LM as opposed yeah. to, you know, and, and I want to say also, I'm writing a book and this movie came out as a desire. I'm showing all the dialogue in the book. And this came out of a, me saying, okay, well, let me see. Um, let me see for myself. And it's supposed to be highlighting the book. And really accentuating, because there's a bazillion other bombshells that are not in the movie. Um, But yes, I I hear that. I hear what you're saying. Um, Well, we just have, yeah. We, I have four pages of questions for you (laughs) because I went minute by minute as you, as as you (laughs) did and and wrote just pedantic questions because we watched the Candace Owens film and I, I respect the effort, but that film the does effort to gatekeep the, yeah. I, to be completely frank, her film does not hold a candle to your film. You, you go there and you go there in such a way that it, brought four pages worth of questions up because it's so convoluted and confusing and intentional right and intentionally confusing the scene itself that's how these psyops operate is that no one knows exactly what the fuck is going on. And that's really what the intention is, is to keep someone who's just observing one angle focused on that angle while there's all these other things happening around. Also, excuse me, also specifically purposefully focused on um, Darnella's footage in order to cement the perception and to bank on the emotional response of tapping into this collective wound exactly and believing that there's justice because of George and so before you get into the question just will tell you I in my investigations and many FOIA and a thousand hours plus um, I found a um, judgment order um, or a disallowance claim for someone claiming to be the natural father of George. This is one of bazillion things that mm. I found. So I reached out to the attorney once, twice. And so yesterday I said, I've been commissioned to write a book. I worked for MSNBC. Like, I'm with you. I'm one of you, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so she left me a message and um, she said, I spoke to her, but she said, which I knew already, there's intellectual property. They've trademarked George Floyd's name. I called the dude who filed for the trademark and I could tell that he didn't mean to pick up, but 
Um, so he said it wasn't active. Meanwhile, there's an estate. So the attorney right. called me back and she's the sole attorney, uh, she says. But, you know, you've heard that, I mean, Crump has been in charge of the estate as well. And she said it would be in your best interest if you didn't publish a book. So I said, oh, let me record that. Oh, I don't give you permission to record. I said, are you saying that in the United States of America, I am not allowed to write a book about George Perry Floyd? And she said, you're right. So I then called my publisher to uh, warn them because this is something I've been anticipating. How are they going to, what do they do with me and my voice is that they muffle me. That's mm -hmm. the way in which, you know, and I have resentment. I I admit to see these other content influencers that have bazillion followers knowing, you know, in journalism school, they teach you use big numbers, 101 ways to get a man yeah. uh, specifically to bedazzle people when exactly. it's all bullshit. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I haven't gotten my Twitter account back and I am a real journalist. And so I am like, it's like, what do I need to do until I read about Tavistock and I understand now you can't pierce the veil and the people that you think many of them that are on our side, so to speak, mm -hmm. are not like exactly. a Robert Malone, who's I a controlled opposition, but that's yeah. again, a different topic. So in any case, sorry, um, I sidetracked, but basically I was told by an attorney that I'm not allowed to write a book. Wow. That's insane. Can you imagine that? To ha that his name is trademarked. That's, I've never even heard of that. Yeah, that's nuts. Well, before we get into your questions, might I ask what it was that made you want to dive so headlong into the George Floyd case? That's a, that's a very good question because it definitely was not my intent. I was in the jungle and Zach said, Mimi, could you come and choke me? I'm like, what? So he asked me to do the George Floyd challenge and I um, tentatively stepped on his neck. And uh, I said, well, you know, if, if you want to find out how he died, we have to call the medical examiner. So it's May 26th. And um, I called the medical examiner and they said it will take weeks and weeks and weeks, three weeks, she said, at least, um, well, multiple. She said weeks three times. Then hours later, oh, CNN is dropping preliminary report. So I saw that as like, huh, they're trying to sow discord. Uh, then on May 27th or 28th, I interviewed Giovanni Thunstrom, who was George's other employer other than Maya. And I noticed talking points. I noticed things that for me and my intuition was like, there's talking points. I see things and I, I saw a page with talking points. Like one of them was call the police on the police right. and uh, making sure white, black. Oh, he was strangled because there was, if you remember, and I say it, uh, the, the liquid that was coming out of the car, like, mm -hmm. oh my God, did the guy pee on himself? Yeah. And um, so that was a red flag. And then I saw Bridget. 
wearing I can't breathe on TMZ, like mm -hmm. literally the next day. And, and I mean, I've said this in other interviews, like, oh, who gave you that shirt, honey? Is print shops, are they essential during a lockdown? So then I went and I did a search, not on Google. I used Quant and I did I Can't Breathe, Benjamin Crump, and George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, Eric Garner said I can't breathe. Also, 2014, yeah. and he was also represented by Benjamin Crump. Mm -hmm. Let the games begin. Yeah. And um, I just didn't tap out and I kept on covering it. And uh, at one point near the, I think before the Derek Chauvin trial, which I covered extensively um, on Activist Post, that I'm like, why don't I write a book? I have all this information. And then as I was writing, I was doing FOIA and going deeper and deeper. And, and, um, you know, Zach would tease me and be like, you're obsessed because I always want to talk about George Floyd. And along the way, I've interviewed for the book. I mean, you can access the interviews, but I've interviewed Joel Gilbert, who did the Trayvon Martin hoax mm. um, as part of my research. Like my way of doing things is that I become obsessed and I have looked under every rock, right. every crevice. Um, and I did the timeline because chronology um, helps educate by looking at exactly. the time. But even reading redacted police reports, mm -hmm. I could glean information. Um, and so, you know, for instance, just again, like, let's say the Twitter files to cherry pick which journalists get it. No, dump the materials and allow people who see things that others don't see. Exactly. To report instead of having these gatekeepers, uh, I know I'm on a COVID list. I know the government. I know it in the way in which they took me out. I know it. So, um, so yeah, that's what that's what Chris got me got me into into it. And uh, when I told Joel, so yeah, I was listing the people I've interviewed. Joel, I've interviewed a DEA investigator. I've uh, interviewed someone who um, reports on the Mexican cartel. My book is going to be God, you know, may, may I be safe. It's going to be so juicy. And I see myself as a scribe because they are vaporizing our history mm -hmm. and someone has to keep track. And it's, it's very sad that there isn't more respect for journalists. And I will also share with you that a year ago, you know, I don't know if you know that I was part of a six-part smear job called Shadowland um, with NBC. Mm -hmm. And so are you, they're interviewing people who believe in a shadow government. I read from my book. I showed them evidence that no one else has seen. Mm -hmm. I showed them my trailer. They cut out every instance of me saying George Floyd. But yet they're covering people who believe in conspiracy theories. What if they had just mentioned George Floyd once? What would that have done for my project? And so, you know, they, they, that's the way they deal with me. That they've and and I didn't know also that NBC. This was a co-production with the Atlantic, which is also CIA. Um, yeah. they, they must have said they must have sent someone, and it's mortifying because they present me as an emotional woman. That's after fame. And anybody that knows me, even not well, 
can tell, no, I just want credit for my fucking work, you motherfuckers. Excuse my language. So that that's basically how I got into it. And then when I told Joel, you know, my boyfriend's um, teasing me that I'm obsessed and I'm spending too much time not really understanding that real investigations take a long time. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, it's not this make justice bullshit that we see. Right. So Joel said, no one else is looking at the truth that makes you a fucking genius. So I've really held on to that because I am ready, very ready to move on. And I'm not done with my book. Um, uh, It's, you know, I showed the film to my roommate and he's like, wow, that's dark. And it's like, that's one hour of your life. I've been dealing with this. I'm a light being and I've been dealing with this for a year. I mean, I choose to more than a year. Um, Yeah. And how could it not be dark? I mean, it's the subject matter. It's intense shit. Right. But, yeah. but um, you know, even when I was living in, in Costa Rica, I was working all the time. Of course, I had the backdrop of nature. To me, that's where God, I can see God. And people be like, you mean you really need to take a break, Miriam, and do, you know, but I choose to do this. Mm-hmm. And it is, has played a toll. And that's why offsetting it with nature uh, helps, helps a lot. Um, you know, during all of this also, I've had to move and go to a completely different state after mm-hmm. living in California for 23 years. And that also played, it's, it's been very taxing. I mean, we've all been taxed uh, under this Rona regime. It's, it's all been purposely uh, trauma, trauma. It's, it's purposely been uh, traumatic. That's the intent. Absolutely. I, I feel that part of the, the whole intention is to continue to traumatize and the timing of the Floyd issue happening was so perfectly timed because what was happening? People were locked in their houses. People are frustrated. People aren't able to work. Now you've got people who have maybe financial struggles and issues because they're not able to work remotely. So what a perfect time to time a, a race riot and and right. create even more division. So right. as a psyop, it makes absolute sense that they did it the way that they did. But I just want to put a pin in something that you said. You know, Chris and I don't have a massive audience. And what I continue to say to him is this. It's the right thousand people that are listening to us. It's the right thousand people who are engaged in this conversation. And so I really want to drive that point home to you. It's the right people that are getting your message. So ultimately, it doesn't matter if you have 200,000 Twitter followers. That is the propaganda machine that is selling this idea that that's what it means to be successful in this day and age. And that's not success. I know that. But unless the sheeple or the other people don't know, they're bedazzled. And it's one thing they're taking away people from me. Sure. So I have footage of Twitter, you know, refresh the page. Oh, hundred people gone, hundred people gone, hundred people gone. And also um, it was, it was this time last year. I had just 
escaped California. I was in Miami mm-hmm. and uh, I was on my own. I'm a dancer. I went to dance. It was New Year's Eve. There was someone doing a man on the street. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was a well-known channel called Wait a Minute What? And yeah. I like, oh, are you doing a man on the street? I took the microphone <laughs> and uh, um, they later said I'm on something. I was on nothing. I was dancing. So I was high, I like high. And I said, pandemic which I contributed to the film and, and uh, um, sheeple and Chinafornia. And I said that I reversed lupus and the, the, it went viral two weeks later. Yep. I started getting hit up. And what did they, people want to know? How did you cure lupus? And so I went on Instagram and I, I did a live and I had 4,000 people and I'm like, mm. eh, this is the way it should be folks. Right. Next day, let's ban Miriam. No more lives for Miriam. Ah, yeah. You know what? Let's make sure no one can even tag her. Yeah. And that video has gone viral twice. Amazing. So it's just like in life, it's hard enough to make it when you're a hard worker bee like I am. Yep. I'm not coming from money. Mm-hmm. I've worked really hard for my life. And so it's already hard enough. Then you stand and you target the person and you make sure uh, they don't get further. Mm-hmm. That That is so, yes, Hunter, you're absolutely right. It's the right people, whoever gets uh, whoever gets my message or sees it. But it's just unfortunate to not be given a fair chance so I can see the fruits of my labor yeah. and yeah. see how I can excel. And I strive for excellence. I'm a perfectionist. Like I said earlier, I spit in the face of mediocrity. I won't stop. I've almost died many times. And I'm here. Uh, And I want to make my life count because I almost died. And I was told, you know, my philosophy is know thyself and to be in service. I'm not driven by money. And, uh, I, I I believe that life is sacred and I am I'm very upset that they've replaced the sacred with Satan. That's the intent. So exactly. But you're doing the work and that's the most important thing. Fuck those people. Like fuck the sheeple. It, it, I got to this place where I realized, oh, there is no waking up anyone. Right. The only path is walking your path because people will come into knowledge. They will come into information at their own pace and at their own rate. And the more that you try to wake someone up, the more entrenched they get yeah. in their reality. Yeah. And yes. so uh, yes. this is the magic is just keeping on keeping on and doing what you're doing because you're doing amazing work just know that it's it's really this is this is one of the types of interviews that I long for because it's someone who walks the walk it's not just selling some idea these are the facts this is what fucking happened and you nailed it you totally nailed it thank you I I uh always every day feel like I'm not doing enough for myself. Um, Like today I still haven't written and um, I don't know where that um, slave taskmaster. um, I I was my friend, a friend um, actually Vivian Kubrick, who's a dear friend 
um, was looking at my chart and like, oh, now I see why um, you're so hard on yourself. And I am, and I'm not doing it. Um, like I'm showing up for me mm-hmm. for, for whatever reason, right? It's not because um, I want to kiss someone's ass or like, I really want to do the best for myself. And in regards to the, this film, it's like, it is purposeful, very matter of fact. Mm-hmm. It's like, what are you going to dispute here? What are you going to dispute? Exactly. So let's get into it. Yeah. <laughs> at... 7.33, we have on May the 25th of 2020, we have Morris Lester Hall, the drug dealer, Shawanda Hill, Floyd's ex-girlfriend, a convicted felon who was convicted of forgery, and George Floyd entering into what looks like kind of a catch-all convenience store called cup cup foods cup foods okay Mm -hmm. okay i want to also say i don't want to give too much because i do want people to go see it but i'm happy i mean obviously i'm dropping details um but yes go on so so at 746 there's a cigarette purchase that is made by floyd where he tries to pass off a bill There's some exchanges that are happening between he and Morris, where Morris comes and takes a bill out of George's open hand and then goes back outside. George's behavior is very erratic. We can confirm that, right? Uh, The interesting thing is that the, the people that were working in the store said that he looked drunk. Yeah. He was kind of potentially no i i mean to me i've been around many people who are on drugs and on stimulants and also on antidepressants or on depressants and he seems like he's kind of riding that line between being on something that's making him hyper but also making him kind of like um unstable maybe would be the better word uh what I found interesting about the as the timeline progresses, 808 is when the police arrive. So there's been a, a little bit of a um, different timeline in Candace Owens' film. She says it takes 45 minutes for the police to arrive in her film. It really? actually, yes, it actually took... They called at 8.05. The police arrived at 8.08. Right. So that- I, I, yes, I mentioned that and I mentioned it in my book um, and I have the report and I show um, everything in my book. I have receipts yeah. to show, but that is very interesting. I didn't catch that. I don't know how she phrased it. She she but. made it a point at the beginning of the film to say that the police it took forty five minutes for the police to arrive on the scene, which I thought was very interesting because you make a point that's an accurate point when you're going by the the police body, body cam footage uh, body cam footage where and it's, also the police report okay exactly. So that I found interesting. Um, 
That is very interesting. I'll have to go back and watch that because yeah. I don't even know. I mean, yeah, not to say I'm not going to crap on the film because I, I watched it. And I enjoyed it, but it's not it's she's a gatekeeper. OK, right. Exactly. So one thing I thought was very interesting, a point that you brought up is that Morris Lester Hall says, and I quote, Adam, know me. Do you believe that Adam, that uh, Hall was an informant for the police, that he and somehow Adam were uh, colluding with the police, that this is part, like, is this the the groundwork that you're laying by um, pointing that out? I mean, I know you're just putting out body cam footage, but is that the groundwork? Well, I say, I, I say that, um, well, actually, in, in my book, I, I detail, I suspected by watching the videos hundreds of times that, Maurice was an informant and I did a FOIA and uh, I was right. <laughs> he was a, a f- informant. The thing is for a hot minute and snubbed the cops, but he was also arrested. So he didn't return. So initially I uh, thought that Maurice was scumbag that set up his friend. Right. And, um, I didn't expect him to pick up the phone and I, you can go and listen to my two hour exclusive yeah, interview. I on, listened to that. Yeah. So, you know, like Maurice just called me yesterday from jail and asked me to send him a Bible and uh, a thesaurus. And I didn't plan um, to care for him. And I do. And my heart cries um, because you know, in his story, you could see that they don't give a shit about black lives, that this is all virtuing. Yeah. And yeah. why not give him a um, second chance? So I was, it's ironic that they sentenced Alexander Kang last week. And they also sentenced Maurice on the same day. I had access to the Zoom link. And I was watching and he actually handled himself very well. Uh, he's kept his cool in instances where I know I wouldn't. Mm. And he had a attorney uh, speak on his behalf as well. And at the end, I unmuted myself and I, the, the, the judge, you could tell in her ums, 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 mm-hmm. she was full of guilt and doesn't give a crap about people really. And I just unmuted and I said, you guys are all hypocrites. You made excuses for George Floyd's career criminal and addictions. And yet you won't give this black man a second chance. And they shut down my the entire Zoom call. Wow. They shut it down. Mimi court bombed the. Um, so, you know, to answer your question, I mean, I don't want to spill the beans, but I do just bring attention to cup and. In reality, George Floyd could have been an informant too. I'll just keep it at that. So what happened with the the um, arrest or, or at least the stop in 2019 when Floyd was stopped by the police and, and exhibited kind of similar behavior? Wouldn't keep his hands still, look like he was trying to ditch some drugs. What happened with that? 
So imagine if they saw that and they said, you know what you did in 2019? You do it again, but you just keep saying, I can't breathe. And that at one point it becomes real. And perhaps this PSYOP, like I say, wasn't supposed to um, result in a death. Mm -hmm. But in 2019, it's 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 an undercover sting operation. And in fact, I just got the um, very redacted police report after six weeks of waiting. And I'm in the midst of reading it. So Scott Crichton, who I believe testified, and he was supposed to testify for the prosecution. And he comes in to talk about uh, his testimony. And Schleiser, Steve Schleiser and Keith Ellison ask him, so what happened? And he's like, this was an undercover sting operation. They cut him off and they go, oh, you mean the traffic stop? And he's like, no. Oh, narcotics investigation. <laughs> and oh, you mean the traffic stop? So when they realized that Scott was not going to lie under oath, and right. why is the prosecution asking? Uh. So then Cahill, Judge Peter Cahill, stated that they were only bringing up the 2019 case in order to show how it's dangerous to swallow drugs. Not to establish that this is, I say it, is this his shtick? Because obviously he doesn't want to go back to jail. I understand. I understand that Maurice had uh, outstanding warrants. I understand that you do shitty things when you're jonesing and trying to score drugs. Um, I I mean, the real, if you really have forgiveness, again, you could have given uh, Maurice a second chance because he got clean. Mm -hmm. He did what the courts suggested. They promised him he was going to be a key witness, but it became very obvious that they couldn't, they eradicated the notion of this drug use and rewrote the script. And so they could not have Maurice. And then what? Maurice is going to go and testify for Derek? No, because also in these uh, psyops especially because there is racism mm-hmm. and there is police brutality that they can bank that people like chris martin who took the 20 who i interviewed as well mm-hmm. and someone like maurice do have experiences of racism so they sure. have a blind spot and so he's not capable maurice of seeing like you know, he does. He wouldn't be able to understand what I, I'm going through. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, to answer your question, regardless, they they threw him under the bus. What was he an informant for a hot minute? Yeah, he was, and um, again, was George. Um, you know, when you realize that they they don't they don't care, and that really upsets me because I know that truth has no color and who are you guys telling me I'm a white supremacist racist fuck you my mentor is black my operations manager is black I truth has no color and I'm kind of brown so you know I've had let's say in looking for an editor and I see now that I could not have done this movie without Sean and he's the one I was looking for and I wasted a lot of time and a lot of money Mm. Um, with 
uh, people that uh, weren't up to snuff and it was late at night. I had just spent six months and $1,100 on an editor that gave me a version where he did not even sync my narration with my pictures, you know? And Ridiculous. I asked him for the money back. Um, and so it was late at night. And I, 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 you know how many nights I'd be like, please, God, please, God, I need someone who is gifted, who knows how to edit, mm-hmm. who is open-minded, and who knows this story because I can't yeah. school them on, I mean, the inner bowels of George Floyd. Yeah. And um, I watched for the second time Psychological Operation by John and by Sean Hibbler. And I reached out to him and I told him this is what I can afford. And uh, and we've been working together. And to, just to tell the audience, too, I still have a gifts and go. I raised a million dollars pretty much, you know, with doing fund like Indiegogo and Kickstarter mm-hmm. it was a different time. Yeah. For an award-winning film, and it's been 10 months, and I'm not, I haven't even reached halfway mark of 15,000. 15, wow. Uh, for for having the goods on a historic event, because even they've they've kiboshed on gifts and go. There's been funny business. Yeah. Uh, the page has gone down. It's been uh, 404 after big shows. I've noticed that. And, and so... I don't know if you have the gifts and go, but I, I would love it if you're even $5. Every little bit helps to, you know, help me bring this film forward and cover the costs. Yeah. We'll, we'll post the link for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. I yes. do want to, I do want to go back to eight twelve. Floyd is against the wall as one of the officers questions him. The other officer is questioning uh, Shawanda and Morris. Maurice. Maurice. My question is this. Well, I have two questions about A12. First, why would they move George when they had him in a good spot? Isn't that an, kind of an interesting thing that they did? A. And B, why would they allow Shawanda to be making a phone call, calling her daughter to get a ride when there's a police investigation in the midst. I thought that was a little bit odd that the police officer didn't stop her from making a phone call and just kind of allowed her to be talking over him while he was trying to get information. Yeah, that is a, that's an excellent, uh, that's an excellent point. I mean, she was on her um, Bluetooth and I mean, it, it's not necessarily apparent that she's talking to her daughter to get a ride, but also, you know, Hunter, like they were, they were both dismissed. If you notice, um, they ask Maurice for his ID initially Mm -hmm. and it's interrupted. And at one point you can see George is looking to the other side, like trying to see what's the cue you could say. Mm -hmm. And so that's foiled. So he doesn't give. Then they ask him again. And Thomas Lane takes a fake ID. It's fake and puts it in his notebook and forgets it. So those are little things I would have liked to have the um, time to be able to add to the film. But Mm -hmm. it was too much, which should be in the book. And also, not only did Thomas Lane forget to give 
Maurice his fake ID back, but he also leaves a crack pipe or a pipe on top of the car. Mm -hmm. And he also forgets that, which you could easily say, you know, he's on his fifth day of the job. He's nervous. Um, You know, also that people, I didn't only recently realize that Thomas is six, seven. He's taller than George. Oh, wow. Um, I say that in the description of, of uh, I mean, I think this movie is a movie you could see several times. Absolutely. Mm, because you'll notice different, different things. As I learn every day, I learn something like, you know, oh, today I got, I'm reading this 2019. Um, I, I, I learn different details every day. Uh, a lot of it is weird. Even Charles McMillan, McMillian, that's his real name, supposedly saying, saying, I know you, I saw you two weeks ago yep. to Derek. Yep. So at 814, they stand him up and they start moving Floyd. Back to 812, another squad car arrives. Now we have no audio for calling for backup. So how do does another squad car know to go to the scene unless one of those two officers has called for backup? I right. found that it is, interesting. It is in the, yes, it is in the police report that they asked for backup. And I'll tell you this also that I say it briefly in the movie, Derek wasn't supposed to be at working that day. Right. And so he comes into work and this is also bizarro. The BCA, you could find it of Tutau being interviewed by the BCA. It's on it's on YouTube. And um, he tells him that Tao uh, decided uh, it, the dispatch got canceled. The backup got canceled. And then he says, let's go because they're rookies and they're in gangland. So when I was interviewing oh. a um, a woman who works against police brutality, she mm-hmm. was like, huh, that's funny. Everybody knows that the bloods work with the police. Yeah. So, so <laughs> you know, to, to, to say um, we have to go there and, oh, you get to decide that you want, let's take this, let's take this uh, ride. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and I also say like, you met, you know, I mentioned that it, they come in less than four minutes, which, which is, is insane. The average. Oh yeah, sure. They could have been in the parameter. They could have been close by. Okay, uh, but I know that when I got accosted on Hollywood Walk of Fame um, by um, six foot seven guy, I waited an hour and a half and had to peace out because nobody came. Nobody cared. Uh, nobody cared. That's let alone so... come for a forgery. That's so insane. So one thing, just going to like date the date and the time, why is the date different on the cop who's running the info? On his body says cam, it says 526. Yeah. What the fuck? Right. Well, also, why is the dragon walk 24 minutes off? Yeah. When I go into that in the a book as as well. But you know, it's how how uh, how are you gonna confirm any of this? I tried to get the police, the Peter Chang uh, police report. There is no report for po- park police, and I say in the film, like, oh, you, what? Now you have backup for a forgery? 
you know, and and as I've watched this a hundred times, uh, I say to myself, "Am I becoming desensitized, or is this becoming faker the more I watch it?" Yeah, yeah. exactly. I can exactly. See that. I also was curious why the police that were babysitting Hall and Hill didn't search the area because they were just babysitting them, keeping I- them. Especially if there's some suspicion of drugs, the first thing you're going to do as a police officer, I mean, I'm not a police officer, but I've been around police investigations, like, you know, living in New York for 10 years, living in Los Angeles for decades. Cops go around and look around. If they're suspicious of drugs or alcohol, they go and look around to see if they can find any drugs or alcohol. Yeah. Also, think about they uh, only found tablets in the car when when they looked in the car like six months later. And the judge goes, uh, that's incredible. Um, what? Because oh yeah, I was only I was only assigned to look for bills, bills you would never hear what? from again. And so my book is called a multi-layered psyop examined. And when I covered the federal trial, I got little fanfare mm-hmm. of the three officers. Mm-hmm. What can and and I have to say also, I'm physically not there. There's right. no live stream. Right. I'm I'm reduced to having to uh, rely on court no- pull, um, reporter notes, pool notes. Mm-hmm. So what I did was make sure that I had like four different reporters so that I can cross reference. And then, of right. course, I have my context. So mm-hmm. on one evening, one evening I was in Miami. I called an NBC reporter, Lou Ragazze, and he goes, oh, my boss told me I'm not allowed to speak to people like you. Oh, real journalists, you mean? What? Oh, my God. <laughs> You're not allowed to speak to people like me? Well, for the listeners out there, where can they find your work and where will they be able to watch the film when it's out? Yes, thank you. Uh, you can um, buzz on over to Miriam Hinane. Um, I trust that you'll have the spelling of my name. Yes. It's MiriamHinane.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, a weekly show called Truth Lives Here that's out on Rumble um, every Friday at 11. So tomorrow I'll be dropping an interview with George Webb, who's an investigative journalist. And my... Uh, all my, you know, the, if if uh, you want to support my abusive relationship with Twitter, I'm B Lady. <laughs> 17 i still haven't gotten my account back and uh for the movie um you can go and see the trailer i give send go forward slash miriam hinane where i'm still raising funds and um to pay for the footage and the editor and expenses of uh, associated and you can watch the movie my movies plus will uh, be offering the movie on January 15th and people can also go to georgefloyddocumentary.com and my book is available pre-order 
at the moment. And that's what I need the most blessings for, because like, you know, as I'm interviewing with you, I'm like, oh, fuck, I have to go and write. I have to write. I have to write. I have like this, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I I want to finish this mm-hmm. so much. So it's a lot of minutiae and, uh, um, but you can pre-order the book. And I hope to God that uh, in in early spring, it'll be 2023. And I thank you both for taking the time to deep dive with me Absolutely. And for yeah. your observations and sensitivities. For sure. Thank you for taking the time to chat with us. Thank you. Yeah. God bless. Yes. It's an Thanks honor, so much for an honor to meet thank you. you. Thank you so much thank for your you. time. And we'll let um, you know when this goes live. Yes. I'll say one more thing that sure. my beats, like I said, are medical freedom. And I've also... I got off of Twitter because of uh, bringing attention to Charles Lieber, the nanotech king, mm. and uh, have talks uh, about him. I was uh, grateful to have an opportunity on the Clay Clark uh, tour. And uh, I will also be in Mexico, God willing, in February as part of, I'm going to bo- butcher the name, An- Anarchapulco. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, amazing. Uh-huh. So I'll be speaking about how I reversed uh, lupus and functional medicine and uh, people can use Bee Lady to buy a ticket and get 10% off. But I'm really excited um, to, you know, it was very tentative to go to Mexico because of the Sinaloa cartel. But um, yeah, so I'll be there in February. Cool. Fantastic. Thank you. Yes. Thanks so much, Miriam. Thank you. Yeah, we'll let you know when this comes out, and we'll yes, probably please. converse in the future, I imagine. Yes, yes please, definitely. So. We want right. to read your book. Yes. Yes, yes. Great. Right. Well, right. Happy New Year to you. May Likewise. 2023 be, uh, be better for us. A exactly. fucking man. Yes. yes. All right. See you, Mary. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Bye. Wild. This is why I love what we do. I I really love speaking to brave, courageous, powerful forces of nature like Miriam. She is absolutely amazing. That was an incredible conversation, and I got to ask her all of the questions that I wanted to ask. You did? Four pages of questions I asked. That was not four pages. It was. What? It was. Front and back. Wow. Amazing. Well, then kudos to you, too. Yes, fantastic movie. I cannot wait to see the book when it comes out. We should definitely pre-order that. Where did she say to do that? I guess we can just go back and I listen. I think her to website is where she said. I'll check my own links when I put in the episode notes. Yes. Yeah, amazing stuff. I first heard her once again on Forbidden Knowledge News. And just at the very end of that interview, she brought up the George Floyd book and documentary. And I was like, wait, wait, hold on a second. I want to know more about that. And that's when I contacted her. And that was a few months ago. So it finally is all coming to play now. So, and I'm so glad that we got to see a screener of it. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, I know that some of our listeners too are incredibly empathetic people and very sensitive people. And, you know, as I mentioned in the interview, I hadn't watched the Floyd footage until I saw the Candace Owens documentary. So I had never seen any of the footage. I just couldn't. I couldn't do it. Uh, and so to go into this 
documentary feeling very hesitant and, and feeling a lot of uh, trepidation informed how I looked at it because I didn't want to see it. <laughs> and it's not because I, I didn't want to do any research for the interview. It's just because I didn't feel like I could fucking handle it. And she did such a brilliant job at being able to kind of keep this tone where it's it was almost like, you know, just the facts, ma'am, kind of a tone. And I really needed that. It helped me to be able to look at it from a objective observer perspective. Because uh, I'm going into a field where I'm going to have to deal with people who have all different types of trauma and who have experienced really horrifying things and, you know, maybe have seen murders or been involved in, in things that I've never had any experience with. So it's important for me to be able to maintain my objectivity. And Miriam did an amazing job at being able to kind of just take a step back. It's not dramatized in any way. And there's no, you know, scary music that's supposed to, you know, punctuate certain moments to make you feel anything. It's just very straightforward. Yeah. And Miriam goes a lot of crazy places like we do on the podcast as far as conspiracies and, you know, just digging into aspects of public events uh, that would lend themselves to conspiracy theory and stuff like that. But she left it out of this documentary, and I think that in the end will serve her, whereas it might make it more interesting for folk like us. Uh, it still was absolutely riveting, and I think it, it serves the historical purpose that it's meant to serve by just laying it out exactly how it is without trying to insert anything uh, too outlandish to folk who don't generally entertain these sorts of things and basically just tells it like it is. So I, I've learned a hell of a lot from it. Yeah, I think that there's so many inconsistencies in the body cam footage, uh, in the timeline, and being able to just lay that out in such a, a, a very... Uh, simplified way is important because it's a complicated story and there's so many different elements and she's not filling in any blanks and telling you what to think or feel as you're observing it and I think that is a really important thing to uh, note is that sometimes I think even in documentary films the filmmaker's biases get in the way of the story. And in this, because this is such a highly charged subject, I think it, she handles it in such a way where she's not telling you what you should be thinking, but she's asking questions that, if you're paying attention, are the questions you should be asking to. Yeah, and I think... <clears throat> Excuse me. She mentioned uh, being obsessed. I think motivation, uh, being motivated by obsession can be a very, very good thing. And she's a perfect example of it. And I think it's necessary when you're, you can't haphazardly put together a documentary like this. You have to 
And I think many documentaries have made that mistake where there's plot holes, Mm -hmm. there's whole areas left unexamined. Uh, And she was extremely thorough about that, especially when you're trying to document or uh, pour through the documentation that already exists of such a uh, highly charged uh, event that, I mean, Jesus, it's hard to to quantify the effect that this had uh, not only on America, but on the world at large. Yeah. And the stakes are high. Yeah. This is not, you know, some walk in the park. This is something that is affecting her life and has clearly affected her career. And it's, it's where she's putting so much of her energy. And so, I think that it needs to be taken with that level of gravity and and really um, appreciated for the time, the vigilance it took and how what a stickler she was for trying to make sure that she not only asked the emotional questions to people who were involved, but just even tried to reach those people. And and if you kind of and I hate to do this because people are different filmmakers and they have different agendas and different budgets and and different ideas of what the their focus should be when they're making a documentary. But if you kind of look just from a contextual standpoint at Candace Owens' documentary and you look at uh, Miriam's documentary, she really focuses on the events in such a specific detail where I feel like Candace Owens was trying to kind of take people on this emotional journey and it was more about following the money and where the money of Black Lives Matter um, went to and she was kind of maybe painting with a broader brushstroke where Miriam was focusing on the details. And in this particular story, the details are really germane to the outcome. So I'm not saying that the Black Lives Matter um, issue isn't important and isn't worthy of exploration. I think it is. I think there's a lot of value there. I think the corruption is rife and very obvious. But I think... What she's focused on is what the fuck happened um, at this time, at this time, at this time, and why do these things not make sense? Why do these dots not connect? And she's not trying to draw any conclusions necessarily. She may put forth an idea or two that she has about the whole thing afterwards, but she's not trying to say, and this isn't what happened. This is what happened. She's just going, what the fuck is all this about? Yeah. Um, and like nine eleven, obviously they're two completely different events. But uh, just like nine eleven, the media got a hold of the situation and went apeshit with it. And I think that was yeah. part of the if this in, indeed is a psyop, that's 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 the perfect stage. That's I mean that may be what it's all for is the media hype afterwards. Yeah. Just like nine eleven. So once that media gets a hold of it and really 
concretizes the narrative. And we've all established who the good guys are, who the bad guys are, why they're bad guys. And, you know, why did this happen? Then it becomes unexaminable after that, especially in the current cultural climate that we live in now where race is, we're supposed to think it's so highly charged that we can't ever question anybody who's not white uh, about anything. So it took a lot of bravery on her part to want to deep dive into this issue. But I mean, she did it with flying colors. It's yeah, it's really astounding. Well, I think that the intention that I think the reason that the nine eleven um, psyop is a great comparison to a, a George Floyd psyop is that both are about um, bifurcating the country. Mm-hmm. It it's about othering white people against black people, and at that point, it was about othering white people against Middle Eastern people. And the intention behind that was then the government could swoop in, sign the Patriot Act, and basically say, well, we're doing this to protect the country. We're doing this because we want to be able to go into your house and take your hard drive and download or upload all the information from your hard drive. But we're doing it to protect you <laughs> we're yeah. stealing your data to protect you i think i would say the only difference between these two in that respect is that uh there came a point where communities were reaching out to muslim communities within theirs and trying to build bridges so on and so forth after a fair deal amount of pardon me my head is kind of full of full of <laughs> congestion as you probably hear my voice um after a fair amount of of flack from the general public uh there was some bridge building that occurred and i don't think that that's occurring in this situation because this seems to have only solidified the black white divide well Um, nobody's ever going to reach out to the white community i would i would disagree in that the reaching out has been that now you have the virtue signaling of putting a Black Lives Matter uh, flag on your car, sticker on your car, or in your front yard, and that's somehow supposed to signal that... I'm guilty. I'm a guilty white that person. You, that you support the black community regardless. So if you're a black murderer... Your life matters. If you're a black drug drug addict, your life matters. If you're a black black child molester, your life matters. Uh, if I was killed by another black, if does you're, my life well, that doesn't count because because <laughs> no now statistic. you're getting into some some bigger issue there. So I think that's the thing that 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 has been the the uh, olive branch that has been extended is has been this kind of this fake version of the olive branch which is basically a white person has to put a flag up in their yard that says please don't think i'm a racist because i have this flag in my yard exactly like the please don't think i'm a homophobic flags that we see 
around people's yards in particular neighborhoods where they just happen to be on almost every house. Because, you know, once two people have them on your on your block, then you've got to just, you know, just to make the record clear, you've got to put it up yourself. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. Um, if there were Muslim Lives Matter, I, I guess it's a different it's a different dynamic. That wouldn't have made sense in the context of 9-11. But yeah, point taken. That makes that, that makes sense. The whole thing is fucking redonkulous because all uh, that type of signaling does is it signals to me, and of course this is my opinion, it signals racism. Because what it's yeah. saying is your life matters more than someone else's life matters because you are now the protected class. So if you are black and your skin is black, that means that your life matters more than someone else's who who doesn't who doesn't look black. So where does someone like me fall into that category? Someone who's mixed race. So I'm not black enough, but I'm not white enough. So does my life not matter because I don't look like a black woman? And it's racist because it's just categorizing you by the color of the arbitrary characteristics of the color of your skin, which nobody had any goddamn choice in. So it's stupid on, on that front alone. Um, what was the point I was going to make? Please draw it out of the chasm of my mind. And I this, can't, I'm sure you've got another point to bring up. The, well, the only point is this, this idea of spiral dynamics and the, lower, the lowest form of um, human expression is tribalism. And I think the question, I remember now what I was going to say, the question of, of is this or is this not a PSYOP? Um, okay, the, I can understand how somebody who doesn't look into this stuff would say that, if they would even consider it. But it certainly seems, even if this event wasn't a PSYOP, that everything that occurred after it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a PSYOP in, in the uh, instance of how it was... Uh, taken advantage of to push agendas and which leads credence lends credence to the fact that this indeed was a psyop uh also the inconsistencies uh that were pointed out in the documentary both uh, the strongest ones which were brought up during the conversation which is the hand signal that the cop gave and then all the bystanders flooded in mm-hmm. and the what's the other one the, the timelines being off, like the t- oh, the body cam stuff not matching. After the fact, uh, supposedly George Floyd's son being prompted by this dude telling yeah. him what the narrative was, basically, yeah. that he was supposed to be speaking out loud. Yeah, and, the, and a huge, huge, huge red flag for you all to consider, the point that Miriam made is that the next day, is when the mask man the federal mask mandate and I I want to follow up on that to confirm that but the next day the federal mask mandate was put in place now why would that be important well if you were going to go out and do some rioting wouldn't it be great to have a mask on exactly and then as far as the riots are concerned you got pallets of bricks delivered mm-hmm. to all major cities mm-hmm. where surprisingly, just coincidentally, all these riots started happening. Uh, old 
beat up cop cars were left in these vicinities too. Mm-hmm. Um, so much, so many plot holes. Yeah. Uh, how couldn't, I, I mean, George Soros, uh, I, credit card, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the George Soros visa. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's so it's so all deeply intrinsically linked. It truly is, and and we know that you guys pick up on this shit. Of course, that we we trust that you guys can follow the the trail, and because it's so obvious. Indeed, and uh, on that note, uh, I highly, and I'm sure Hunter does too, highly recommend that you do see this. Please That's do. A really important piece of work. Please do. And uh, and buy uh, Miriam's book. Absolutely. And please donate to her funds. She really needs the money, even if it was just a dollar, five dollars, whatever. You can please help support her because it's it's people like this. These are truly the warriors in in the this battle and they need our love our support and even if you can't financially just sending her good thoughts and blessings you know that is its own currency and she needs it absolutely all right we've been almost going for 20 minutes um, whoa wow <laughs> they're probably sick of hearing us now Thank you all so very, very much for listening. Hopefully you got something positive out of that. If only that you should go see this movie and pre-order her book. Yes. Um, and if you want to get a hold of us for suggestions for guests, casserole recipes. We're actually thinking about putting out a melt casserole recipe book. Because um, we're kooks. We're kooks. Praise, criticism. Uh, that can be sent to the Melt Podcast at protonmail.com. And if you want to send us good vibes, uh, I am working on our book proposal for Inner Traditions. If you have any suggestions, praise, criticism, uh, thoughts, whatever you got, you can always email me at hunter-muse at protonmail.com. And that's it. We love you very much. Yes, we do. Please keep listening. Fantastic stuff down the pike. And hopefully I will sound more human the next time you hear me. Ta-ta! To hear the full-length version of this episode... Get access to exclusive and early episodes and participate in our monthly Zoom meetups for as little as $3 per month. Just click the Patreon link in the episode notes or visit patreon.com slash themeltpodcast. Contributing financially will help to make this podcast my full-time gig that I can devote more time to and allow me to create more content. Other ways of contributing would be giving us a favorable review or rating wherever you get your podcasts, subscribing to us on YouTube, spreading the word wherever you and your tribe congregate, or just by sending us your positive thoughts and intentions. In a quantumly intertwined and holographic multiverse, these also go a long way. Thank you.